You're listening to The Recap by Drawing Capital, the best place to dissect the week's key events in financial markets and technology. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute an offer, solicitation, or recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any security. Opinions, estimates, and projections in this podcast are subject to change. This podcast is based on current public information believed to be reliable, but no representation is made to accuracy or completeness. An investment in any strategy, including the strategies referenced in this podcast, involves a high degree of risk. Clients of Drawing Capital may maintain positions discussed in this podcast. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to the recap by Drawing Capital. Today, we're going to be discussing the recent Fed commentary, both from yesterday uh, and the on Tuesday this week. In that commentary and meeting session, Jerome Powell mentioned that uh, we will potentially be expecting two rate hikes, but starting in 2023, so almost two years from now, unemployment is unchanged, still at 4.5%. Inflation uh, expectations have risen from 24 to 3.4%, so a full percent change there, but still of the position that the rise in inflation will be temporary and are still continuing to purchase bonds to the tune of $120 billion per month. But more commentary is expected on this uh, in the Fed's August meeting. So maybe, Sagar, I'll uh, kick it over to you. Uh, Could you give us a little bit of a primer on just how these adjustments in tone and in recent comments from Jerome Powell have really set the tune and and changed uh, or not changed from uh, the previous notes from, from Powell and what investors can can expect from that. Yes, this was certainly an important press conference and press release from the Federal Reserve yesterday. Notably and top of mind, there were three noteworthy items from Wednesday's press release from the Federal Reserve that I'd like to highlight. First, the Federal Reserve will continue its asset purchasing program of buying at least 80 billion in treasury securities and at least 40 billion in agency mortgage-backed securities per month. And so as Sean mentioned, buying over $120 billion worth of securities per month equates to an annual run rate of about $1.5 trillion in a year in terms of Fed balance sheet expansion. So just letting that sink in, that's another trillion and a half of balance sheet expansion just from this type of asset purchasing alone. And this is in a, as we move into more of a post-pandemic world, uh, at least here in America. Second, while the Fed's two stated goals of price stability and maximum employment have not changed, a shift in policy stance reveals that the Fed is open to inflation being moderately above 2% for quite some time. And a third noteworthy item is that the Fed's dot plot graph, which is really an estimation of the future Fed funds interest rate, is estimating interest rate liftoff via two interest rate hikes in 2023, although this can change over time as Chair Powell mentioned in the recent press conference. I'll hand the mic back off to Sean for uh, follow-up questions as well. Yeah, I mean, my one uh, question slash comment, I guess, I mean, you hear a lot about people kind of poo-pooing the dot plot graph saying, you know, it it really isn't worth much. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's more just uh, of an estimation tool. And uh, these are future-looking or forward-looking projections that do deviate and change over time. I and mean, we've seen this, uh, this consistently uh, right before the uh, previous uh, interest rate liftoff. There, there was volatility and some people thinking you know, rates would incrementally go up. Um, I know in the late 90s, uh, there was an incremental step up in rates. And then in the early 2000s, from 2006 to 2007, 
or, or sorry, from 2005 to 2006, there was a incremental uh, stepwise function. So I think that these are really just projections. I do think these change all the time. These are certainly not set in stone. And, and keep in mind too, is that the uh, dot plot projections is the overall aggregate consensus view of the voting Fed officials. And so obviously things change over time. If there's new governors or um, someone new is, is appointed to a post, uh, then they can certainly have an influence. So as, as Chair Powell eloquently pointed out, while yes, they published this dot plot graph, something that is quite honestly two years, three years out, um, I would I would pretty much discount as as Chair Powell basically suggested or really implied that to not give as much weight to something you know three years five years out because as we know late 2019 markets looked really rosy um, and then start of Q1 2020 was one of the greatest shocks to the financial markets. Uh, that the world has ever seen uh, with the inducement of the coronavirus crisis. So as we see that, you know, projecting, forget about projecting three quarters, even projecting one quarter, two quarters uh, can sometimes be tricky. And, and as always, things will evolve, change. And, and I think the, the the real goal would be to iterate and improve and, and uh, both react to new information, new data, but also take a progressive view of remaining data driven and remaining goal oriented uh, in their goal. Uh, I know Jugal has a couple of thoughts, so I'll pass the mic over to him as well. Yeah, Sagar, I, we talked a bit about this um, offline, but I wanted to get your opinion on this podcast as well for some of our listeners. I wanted to draw a point about how Fed Powell is, while he is one of the most uh, important and probably uh, capable people in terms of like how much he can do to affect our economy, uh, at the same time, he does have a job. And it is possible that if he makes the wrong move, then uh, Biden will essentially fire him or find a replacement for for Jerome Powell. So the question in my mind is, is there a chance that Jerome Powell is basically operating in a way to save his own job? Or is he is his goal to actually help the American economy not become sort of hyperinflated and also bring the unemployment rate down to a certain uh, rate and, you know, things of that sort. Like, is there a basically a basically a conflict of interest that we're seeing in Jerome Powell or like, what is his ultimate goal? And do you think he's taking the right approach? And la- the second point I wanted to make is I think you mentioned before that uh, he has the, he has no reason to lie to us essentially. Uh, and at this point, it seems like he's been rather trustworthy. I know I previously on one of our other podcast episodes, I was doubting him a bit, but it does seem like he's been trustworthy lately. Uh, I'd like your opinion on why you think he has been telling the truth and saying things like, you know, this dot plot uh, of like 2023 expectations is just take it with a grain of salt. Uh, don't don't really think it's the source of truth. Yeah, I think certainly a, a range of uh, really fascinating questions there. I, I would like to, I, I certainly that, that may be more of like a cynical narrative. Uh, I generally do like to give people the benefit of the doubt of thinking that, you know, this, it, it is a very high post. Some, some people would, would even mention that the chair of the Federal Reserve is, is the second most powerful person uh, on the planet, uh, the first being the president of the United States. So the, these are really top-notch officials. They have a range of expertise and experience uh, before uh, becoming um, uh, or be, before attaining such a prominent position. I guess um, 
shifting gears away from more of the individual and then more toward actually the the economic policy, which I think impacts much more people um, and, and, and just general institutional investors as a whole is, well, someone may ask, you know, well, why why should we care about low interest rates? Or, you know, is this more of an appropriate policy? We have seen inflation. We, we saw CPI data. We saw uh, producer price index data that was well north of, of 2%. Um, although that being said, it's also coming off uh, the year-over-year year gain, which, as we know, from May and June, uh, a lot of the country was still in lockdown. So by definition, spending was was more concentrated in specific areas and certainly muted in terms of very little travel, uh, et cetera, there. Uh, certainly things are opening up uh, as we approach the second half of the year. But I guess coming back to the, the main question of, I guess, why, why, why would people care about low interest rates uh, and maintaining such a accommodative uh, asset uh, purchase program with quantitative easing? A uh, couple of reasons I'd like to share, and then of course, uh, Julia, you can follow up uh, with uh, follow up questions uh, along with uh, Sean um, as well. Which is first off, maintaining a low interest rate environment benefits growth stocks and tech stocks, which is great for these types of investors, along with the employees that work in these industries that enjoy an appreciating total comp from the rising value of their RSUs. So that's really point number one. Like, how how do low interest rates directly translate into the total comp of tech employees and, and tech investors, right? So second, a low interest rate environment unfortunately financially harms savers and retirees that primarily live off of interest income from bonds, CDs, and savings accounts. So if we look at you know the baby boomer generation, and for, for a long time, they were accustomed to seeing treasury yields north of 5%, in some cases, north of 10%. And so perhaps in, in when they were doing any type of retirement planning uh, in the 1990s or even early 2000s, it was very common to model out, you know, thinking, okay, from a, a academic uh, credit risk-free version of, of a U.S. Treasury or with FDIC insurance of a CD, you know, if you can get five, six, seven, even 10% yield uh, in a pretty safe manner, then it was much easier to model out. Today, if you're only getting anywhere from half a percent to 2%, that's a much different equation altogether. Um, and certainly you need basically more principal um, at a lower interest rate in order to generate the same amount of numeric dollar interest income. Um, or if there's fears of continued inflation, keyword not hyperinflation, but just general uptick in inflation, then costs of goods um, keep going up. And then therefore you need more and more interest income. And so there's certainly been more and more uh, traffic into uh, equities and real estate for yield over the traditional fixed income market for for many investors, as well as both institutional and, and certainly uh, in the um, uh, retiree uh, community that primarily lives off of this interest income. And a third, and I guess it's also well known, a third com uh, component there is that the Fed monetary policy is often a leading indicator for the stock market, which is really a leading indicator for the broader economy. And so by maintaining this accommodative monetary policy to stimulate and support the American economy, the Federal Reserve is implicitly maintaining an accommodative and supportive investing environment for stocks, real estate, and this specific set of other assets and private investment vehicles. So I guess overall, hopefully that should um, summarize to our audience here how low interest rates directly impact their investments, whether they live off of the cash flow of their, of their investments or seek total return um, by incorporating price appreciation or as an employee of some of these companies that really benefit from lower discount rates. Uh, Jugal, I'll pass the mic over to you for follow-up questions and commentary. 
I actually think uh, Sean Sean has a question, so I'll pass it back to him. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think uh, another important thing to mention here, just to piggyback on Sagar's comments about uh, monetary policy being a leading indicator stock market tends to follow. I mean, the numbers, and I forgot to mention this earlier in the podcast, but the numbers that we were that got reported for GDP growth went from six and a half to to seven percent, which is for you know a one of the more mature economies in in the world. I mean, leading economy versus uh, you know China here. That is a huge amount of growth for what we're doing at the moment with four and a half percent unemployment. So, I mean, the fact that uh, things are still easy, you know, keeping a very investor friendly relationship, especially for higher growth technology companies and things like that. I mean, that is a big indicator. I, I mean, you, you could start to see that come through in, uh, you know, treasury yields and things like that. Typically with the expectation of an expanding economy, you might see higher yields. Um, you know, that could in turn put a, put a little bit of, of downward pressure on those, uh, you know, stocks or at least some resistance against their growth. But I mean, from an overall economic standpoint and the broadening out of the economy here since since COVID, we are absolutely firing on all cylinders. And, you know, whether that's due to, you know, excessive fiscal policy or really the easy monetary policy that we're seeing now, I mean, things are just growing rapidly. So I think that is important for people to keep in mind, despite the fact that, you know, we have had increased day-to-day volatility in, in recent months. Sorry, Jugal, for cutting you off. I'll kick it back to you. No worries. No worries. I, I, other point I thought would be an interesting talking point about uh, inflation and interest rates is the price of the lumber futures. I think you guys have noticed that gigantic move from 300 to uh, over, I think, 1400 to 1700 area, and it recently fell around 300 points. But uh, I, I was reading that lumber futures could be a indicator uh, that essentially these these rates will uh, decline and that they basically will be transient. Uh, and the same thing will happen with car prices. You know, car prices have been go- going up uh, actually a, a large amount, especially used car prices. Uh, just anecdotally speaking, one of my friends' cars has actually appreciated since the time he's bought it, which is, I think, a very, a very rather rare case. Usually a car depreciates around 20 to 30%, I think, in the first year is one of the data points that I remember uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts about the predictive power of using like used car prices and uh, lumber futures uh, to predict some of these rates? And do you think it will hold up or is this just an, another narrative? Well, I mean, I think it's important to note that, you know, the several hundred, and, and this is just by memory, so don't quote me on this, but several hundred or thousand percent, you know, increase in the lumber rates is not a sustainable growth rate by any means. But to your um, point about used autos and things like that. I think this is also a product of change in behavior, priorities, and the demand shift that's occurred in this market. To give you an example, I bought a car, I think last year or something like that as well, um, that is more catered to, you know, capable off-road vehicle. We got a couple kids, seemed, seemed to make sense for us, but um, that that has also done the same. And that is strictly because COVID happened. More people wanted to be outdoors. They wanted to go hiking. They wanted to go camping, all these things where there was supply constraint issues because the models that the companies and the auto manufacturers were using, not to mention that the disruption in supply chains that's happened has actually 
limited supply. Demand has been higher because people want to be outdoors more. They want to do more adventurous things. They're not getting on planes to travel to Europe and whatever. Um, so, so that has actually pushed prices up. Whether you could you know, expect that to continue in the future, I don't really think so. That's just my opinion. But um, I think the adjustments have been made here and the big shift, uh, especially those that have been very unexpected, has happened. And uh, the pricing models and the supply and demand models will be more accurate going forward now. It's a great point. And I guess to, to further piggyback on that, I think what we're seeing, uh, which I, I find quite fascinating, is this inversion principle. I know in financial markets, especially amongst uh, bond investors, there's this concept of inverted treasury yield curve when when the shorter um, end of the yield curve, let's say the three month or the two year is, is higher than the 10 year treasury yield curve. Um, that obviously we're, we're in a normalized uh, curve at the moment where we're not inverted. But I think this can this same concept or this same principle can be applied elsewhere. Uh, Sean just mentioned about um, his car purchase and, and Julio, you mentioned about used cars. So traditionally used car prices just go down in value, right? Because cars uh, naturally depreciate. There's better technology, better safety features in newer cars, typically more fuel efficiency in some cases, maybe uh, electric, maybe hybrid, et cetera. And so naturally older cars do depreciate, except for I would say about 95, maybe 99%. Out, and really that, that maybe half a percent or 1% of cars appreciate due to it being a collector's item, typically being a very um, high prestige a high scarcity, uh, a luxury vehicle. Um, so that being said, this inversion principle of used prices going up, that, that is an inverted um, paradigm. Um, another inverted paradigm that, that you'll see, and to our audience, that you'll often see lift prices being higher than the cost of uh, airplane travel. Um, and so in some cases, now you're seeing the price of lift to go to the airport being even higher than your actual airline ticket on United, Southwest, et cetera, from uh, one domestic de destination to another. And so obviously that was pre, a pre in a pre-COVID environment, that was generally not the case, right? You would uh, possibly fly you know, from uh, LAX to Chicago, LAX to uh, New York, and that was a, a few hundred to several hundred dollars. Obviously your Uber ride was not you know, $600. Um, but today uh, there, there is that inversion principle in transportation. There's inversion in used cars. Uh, there's certainly shortages and and chips uh, and and other vehicles. So I, as as we've seen, there's there's just an inversion uh, compared to the paradigm uh, across several industries. I've just highlighted one is uh, or two rather one in vehicles, one in in transportation and ride sharing and and travel. And so I think we're going to continue to seeing this. But like the treasury yield curve, inversions typically happen for just a short amount of time, and then things typically re-rate and return back to a, a more normal environment. And I know we're wrapping up uh, here closer to the 20-minute uh, mark here, so I'll pass it back to Sean for some closing commentary. Yeah, thanks very much. I mean, I think it's, you know, will continue to be on the forefront of all investors' minds going through this year, especially next year, things to watch. Definitely the Fed meeting in August when we hear a little bit more uh, about quantitative easing, the bond buying program that's happening uh, that's not expected to fall off a cliff dramatically or anything like that. But prior to raising rates, the expectation is that the bond buying will slow down. So depending on what happens this year, we'll get some better insight as to whether 
you know, this expected transitory inflation is, you know, over quickly or subsides more gradually in what the Fed's response is going to be. We have not been in an environment like this before. I think, uh, as Sagar mentioned, a few of those paradigms, you know, there's some some unique things happening in, in all markets across the board. So as the year goes on, I think we should have some some interesting things to point out there as well. Uh, and in the meantime, I think just always important to remember, stay, you know, closely focused on the things that you're buying, know why you own them. Quality is going to become of increasing importance, especially if we come into an environment where, uh, you know, interest rates may be rising again. Those are going to matter a lot. So keep that in mind. We hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, hope to see you again next week. Thanks so much.